this morning for our sermon. We're going to be uh, talking about the wisdom of God, but uh, we're going to be spending some time. If you want to, you can turn to Proverbs. We're going to dive in there right away, but we'll be heading there after a little bit. And then Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, for the most part, is where we're going to be. Before we get diving in here, let us seek the Lord and His grace, His mercy, and that His Word would have effectual power in our lives. Heavenly Father, we praise You and we thank You for You are our God. And we are Your people. We are those in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And we thank You. We thank You for this wonderful privilege of being able to open up Your Word in freedom and being able to seek You and understand You and try to know You better. I ask, Father, that You would reveal Yourself to us this morning, that You, Lord God, would be known to us, that we'd understand perhaps a bit more Your wisdom. Father, I ask that You would be exalted, be lifted up and glorified. Be merciful to us and awaken us in our understanding, for we ask it in Christ. Amen. Well, in the series, as we've been going through, looking at how our God is so awesome, and that word is overused nowadays, but it truly is the descriptive of our God, awesome, awesome. We've been looking at these different aspects, and this morning, we're looking at the supreme wisdom of God. And, of course, I think if I was to ask you, hey guys, where if I was to talk about wisdom, where do you think the wisdom literature is found in Scripture? Most people say, hey, yeah, Proverbs, yes, yes, Proverbs. Exactly, because it's all over the book. And same with Ecclesiastes. They're both written by the wisest man who ever lived, Solomon. God gave him the gift of wisdom. And so when we, when we come to this, uh, this whole topic of wisdom, especially when you look at it proverbially, like if you, through the book of Proverbs, one of the things that you will notice is that you will see a lot of talk about knowledge, a lot of talk about understanding or discernment, and then and a lot of talk about wisdom. Because these this is like the trifecta of all wisdom. You begin with knowledge, you grow to understanding, and then you eventually get wisdom. Because that's the path. You can't have wisdom without knowledge. You can't have wisdom without understanding. You can't have understanding without knowledge. And it's knowledge is how you get going. And so, for example, just think of it like this. We often think that we've arrived once we've learned something. You ever read a book on a subject? So you read a book on a subject and you gain some knowledge. And often you think that you... Wow, you think you know this stuff. And then have you ever gone to try to articulate it to somebody and you find out that you really don't know what you're talking about because you can't describe what you've read? Or you try to apply it and you find out, man, I, I don't have a clue. This is weird. I, I mean, it sounded great when I read it. Now I go to apply it and I find it, there's a big gap between first getting knowledge about it then actually practicing it. And if you're actually interested in the subject, you actually might say, hey, you know what, I'm really going to chase this down. And so you read several books and you find out who are the top, top in the particular field, in this particular idea, and then you pursue that and you read several books. And now you can start to see the nuances and the different angles within this theme and subject. And now you're starting to gain 
understanding. And now actually you can begin to talk to somebody about it in ways that are clear and articulate. And now you're not as confused. You now can nuance your knowledge. You have understanding. But there's still a gap between understanding and wisdom because you find that you can talk a big game, but you're a little bit ashamed that you're quite the hypocrite. You actually don't live it out yourself. That's because you have not yet gained wisdom. Wisdom is that ability to take the knowledge and understanding and then you apply it in practical, real-life situations. Just all you have to do is go read a book on communication, think you've got it, go try it, and fail. Then you read several books because you really want to get it down and you start to get really good understanding, but you still try it and fail. It isn't until you continually you're able to express it in life in the situations that you find yourself that you actually gain wisdom. You're wise when life can come at you and you're able now to communicate in ways that are winsome and persuasive. Now you've gained wisdom because now you can actually apply it. You know, it's the kind of thing that takes time to get. If you're to gain wisdom, as we're going to find out, it's not something that you have right away. God is filled with wisdom. He has ultimate wisdom. But if you're to understand what is wisdom, wisdom is that ability to take life head on and discern what it is and know how to respond in a very good and godly way. The greatest example of probably the height of wisdom is when Solomon was challenged and tested. You can test wisdom because when it's tested, it proves itself. Do you guys remember the story? Where there's Solomon, his seat of judgment, and the two ladies bring a child before him, both claiming that the child is their own. What would you do? How would you decide? How would you judge this case? Solomon, in his wisdom, this is confronted with it, says, take the child, cut him in two, give half to this woman and half to this woman. That doesn't sound wise to me. <laughs> I was like, serious? Well, because he knew what he was doing. And what happened is the woman who the child belonged to said, no, no, please spare the child and give the child to her. And the other whom the child did not belong to was willing to sacrifice the child. And then Solomon says, give the child to the one who is not willing to sacrifice the child because he knew that's the one who belonged to. Brilliant. Now that's wisdom. Wisdom's able to take life and the gnarliest situations and circumstances, perceive, understand, know what to do, and execute in a way that's glorious and good. That's wisdom. And that's what God has, always. God is infinitely wise. When we say infinitely, there's no end to his wisdom. It's beyond comprehension. That's why I said in the first point of this particular sermon that God's wisdom is past finding out. No matter how wise Solomon ever got, he never got close to God's wisdom. God is all wise. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 28 says, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is unsearchable. I mean, you could search for a long time. You get into his understanding and go as long as you want, as far as you want, and you could not come to the end of what he understands. It's like Romans eleven thirty three says, 
Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and unfathomable His ways. Unfathomable. His workings, His judgments, they're so deep, they're so rich, they're so good, they're so brilliant and wise, they're unfathomable. You can't get your head around it. Or how about Psalm 147, 4 through 5? He determines the number of the stars. And when we look out and see the stars and what we know about the universe, they're uncountable, really. So get this, it goes beyond this though. He gives them all their names. He's named them all. I I would love to know their names. (laughs) You know, John, Peter, Sally. (laughs) Probably not. (laughs) I'm sure he speaks in Hebrew, right? You know, Isaiah 55, 8 through 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God's, (laughs) he can never be fathomed. He can never be searched out. His wisdom will blow your mind. God is so knowledgeable. He has so much understanding. And he is so wise that there is no situation happening in the cosmos that is not easy for him. Simultaneously. How many billion people are on the planet right now? This one planet. And we all think, ooh, that'd be a difficult one. What if we all prayed at the same time? How could he sort that one out? Well, see, see, God has, have you ever seen the easy button at Staples? I think God has an easy button. We're like, how could you do that one? God's like, easy. You don't understand how wise I am. My understanding is like, it has no limit. So it's a, it, the things that perplex you, the things that confuse you, those are the easy button. And, and, and what we run into ourselves all the time is our limited wisdom and understanding and knowledge. We run into it because we're, we're perplexed, aren't we? We're confused. We don't know. And, and we can't figure it out. And when we ask creatures, when we don't know and we can't figure it out, it causes anxiety. Especially if you're the control freak who has to know, who has to figure it out. Or you can find no rest. It, it's this God's wisdom, his wisdom is past finding out. He never runs into that problem. You know, our easy button's pretty small. Because the things that are easy, usually after time, we start to learn some things. As we go through life, we can begin to learn some things. But God, for God, he doesn't have to learn anything. He knows all things. Proverbs three nineteen through 20 says, The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps were broke open, and the clouds dropped down dew. You know, man thinks he's wise and discerning when he can solve a math problem that fills a wall like the size of this wall, perhaps. Okay, let's lay out this math problem. 
and he works it all out, and you look at that and think, wow, there's this brilliant mathematician, and I couldn't start, I couldn't start, and he finished. And you think, this is just amazing. And for God, that's not even the start. That's, that's like, that's child's play. That's what little infants, children do. You want to see a math problem? <laughs> you know, just the complexity, you know, the complexity of the human hand and its wiring and how it functions, the consciousness, where I'm like, just the fact, if you were to do this right now, that is really simple and easy, but you understand the complexity of that. If, if men knew at all, they knew, and men are so arrogant because they talk about all the things that they know. They know what things, that, that they happen and what is happening so often, but they don't know how or why because otherwise they could produce this. Because it's only in deep understanding and wisdom and intricate knowledge that you're able to produce those things. You can see through the creation of things in themselves. They testify to how wise, discerning, and, and, and knowledgeable you really are. And men have done phenomenal things. You get like 1,500 men scratching their heads, working on things, and finally they get a, they get a robot, and they actually can, they're getting to the point where, man, after thousands of thousands and thousands of hours of working, they're getting to the point where they can almost get it, the function smooth. Okay, so they're getting to the function smooth. Now try to create a brain that has its own consciousness that fires and causes it to do that. It's like we're light years away from even getting close to that. And that's just one little aspect of creation. God's wisdom, the wisdom even in if, if you look at how we're fearfully and wonderfully made and you just think of how, how you function, the fact that you have two feet and you stand upright and you, you don't consciously know this, but you, you know, you understand how complicated balancing is on two feet? Watch all the other creatures that can't do it. But we take it for granted. We walk, we run, we jump. Go look at the Olympics. We do some phenomenal things. Do you understand the complexity involved? The, God's wisdom is past finding out. So you can search and, and you can work and you do good all you can. You get hundreds of, hundreds of people of hundreds of hours working on a project, one particular project, and we make some phenomenal progress and, and we, we're blown away by what we discover and what we're able to do. We've built a robot. And it is pretty amazing, but it's nothing compared to what God has done in creation. Just yeah, enter into the molecule, and within the molecule, you will find profound wisdom. Wondering, how is this even possible? Well, God spoke. Yeah, he's awesome. God's wisdom is past finding out. So here's something we have to understand about God in his wisdom. God, listen to me, God in his wisdom. God, wisdom is past finding out, so stop. Stop trying to figure it out. That's, that's a perennial problem with us. We're always trying to figure out God and figure out his ways. And figure out what he's doing. And so often, unless he's re explicitly revealed it to us, we can't. And let me explain what I mean by this. If you do want to turn to the book of Ecclesiastes, this book is a, a phenomenal book for, for understanding 
um, what it is we should pursue and what it is we should not pursue. Solomon is giving his wisdom in the form of a sermon to a young disciple. It is the wisdom that he gained through long experience and deep reflection of all that he's seen and done under the sun. And this is where he just, he says this at the end of the, the sermon in chapter 11, verse 9, and in chapter 12, verses 1 through 12. This is what saw the wisdom Solomon's gained. He's speaking to this young man, this young disciple, and this is the wisdom that I've gained, he says. And so what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to put the message of this book, the whole book, where I'm going to, I'm going to go through and we're going to, we're going to kind of map out Ecclesiastes, but not chronologically. And, and here's how it's going to happen. I'm actually not going to be doing the instruction. I am actually going to do a lengthy quote from J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God. How many of you have ever read Knowing God? Unbelievable book. You, if you haven't, please read it. It is so, so good. And in this section, it blew, blew me away how he took Ecclesiastes and a few paragraphs, summarized this book and laid it out to show what really, what folly is, what really, someone pursuing what so-called wisdom is and what true wisdom is. And it's, uh, I could not express it any better. So I'm going to quote it. I've never done a lengthy quote like this before, but it's easy to follow. It isn't complex and it's just so good. At least it was for me. (laughs) So here it goes. I'm going to quote it and do my best to make it engaging. So you almost think that I'm preaching this. The preacher wants to lead this young believer into true wisdom. And he wants to keep him from uh, falling into the mistake, as many young men have since fallen, of equating wisdom with wide knowledge. And to suppose that one gains wisdom simply by diligent bookwork. And he said, this this comes from chapter 12, verse 12. Clearly, the young man took it for granted that wisdom, when he gained it, would tell him the reason for God's various doings in the ordinary course of providence. So basically, he figures that he could figure out God. What the preacher wants to show him is that the real business of wisdom is a frank acknowledgement that this world's course is mysterious that much of what happens is quite inexplicable to us. And that most occurrences under the sun bear no outward sign of a rational, moral God ordering them at all. As the sermon itself shows, the text is intended as a warning against the misconceived quest for understanding, for it states the despairing conclusion to which this quest, if honestly and realistically pursued, must at length lead. We may formulate the message of the sermon as follows. Look, says the preacher, of the sort of world we live in. Take off your rose-colored glasses, rub your eyes, and look at it long and hard. What do you see? You see life's background set by aimlessly reoccurring cycles in nature. Chapter 1, verses 4 through 7. 
You see its shape fixed by times and circumstances over which we have no control. Chapter 3, verse 1 through 8. Chapter 9, verses 11 through 12. You see death coming to everyone sooner or later, but coming haphazardly. Its coming bears no relation to whether it is deserved. Chapter 7, verse 15. Chapter 8, verse 18. Humans die like beasts. Chapter 3, 19 through 20. Good ones like bad. Wise ones like fools. Chapter 2, verse 14 and 16. Chapter 9, verses 2 through 3. You see evil running rampant. Chapter 3, verse 16. Chapter 4, verse 1. Chapter 5, verse 8. Chapter 8, verse 11. Chapter 9, verse 3. The wicked prosper, the good don't. Chapter 8, verse 14. Seeing all this, you realize that God's ordering of events is inscrutable. As much as you want to make it out, you cannot do so. Chapter 3, verse 11. Chapter 7, verse 13 through 14. Chapter 8, verse 17. Chapter 11, verse 5. The harder you try to understand the divine purpose in the ordinary providential course of events, the more obsessed and oppressed you grow with your apparent aimlessness of everything. And the more you're tempted to conclude, life really is as pointless as it looks. But once you conclude that there really is no rhyme or reason in things, what profit or value, gain or point or purpose can you find in any sort of constructive endeavor? Chapter 1, verse 3. Chapter 2, verse 11. Chapter uh, two, uh, 2, verse 2. Chapter 3, verse 9. Chapter 5, verse 16. I hope you understand when I'm doing that. That's the, you, get it, you get it? Those are the, the sections in Ecclesiastes that support what he's just said there. If life is senseless, then it is valueless. And in that case, what use is it working to create things, to build a business, to make money, even to seek wisdom? For none of this can do you any obvious good. Chapter 2, verse 15 through 16. Verses 22 through 23. Chapter 5, verse 11. It will only make you an object of envy. Chapter 4, verse 4. You can't take any of it with you. Chapter 2, verses 18 through 21. Chapter 4, verse 8. Chapter 5, verses 15 through 16. And what you leave behind will probably be mismanaged after you're gone. Chapter 2, verse 19. What point is there then at sweating and toiling at anything? Must not all our work be judged? Vanity, a striving after the wind. Chapter 1, verse 14. Activity that we cannot justify as being either significant in itself or worthwhile to us. It is to this pessimistic conclusion, says the preacher, that having optimistic expectations of finding the divine purpose of everything will ultimately lead you. Chapter 1, verses 17 through 18. This pessimistic view, this pessimistic understanding, that's, that's where you're led to. If you try to understand it, is what he's saying. That's where you're headed. And of course he's right. For the world we live, is, live in is in fact the sort of place that he's just described. 
the God who rules it hides himself. Rarely does this world look as if a beneficent providence were running it. Rarely does it appear that there is rational power behind it at all. Often what is worthless survives, while what is valuable perishes. Be realistic, says the preacher. Face these facts. See life as it is. You will have no true wisdom until you do. Packer goes on to say that we often feel sure that God has enabled us to understand all his ways with us and within our circle thus far. And we take it for granted that we shall be able to see at once the reason for anything that may happen to us in the future. And then something very painful and quite inexplicable comes along. Right? That's life. And our cheerful illusion of being in God's secret counsel is shattered. Our pride is wounded. We feel that God has slighted us. And unless at this point we repent and humble ourselves very thoroughly for our former presumption, our whole subsequent spiritual life may be blighted. Among the seven deadly sins of medieval lore was sloth, a state of hard-bitten, joyless apathy of spirit. There's a lot of it today, around today in Christian circles. The sympathy, sorry, the symptoms are personal spiritual apathy combined with critical cynicism about the churches and a haughty resentment of other Christian, Christian initiative and enterprise. Behind this morbid and deadening condition often lies the wounded pride of one who thought he knew all about all the ways of God in providence. And then he was made to learn by bitter and bewildering experience that he did not. This is what happens when we do not heed the message of Ecclesiastes. For the truth is that God in his wisdom to make and keep us humble and to teach us to walk by faith has hidden from us almost everything that we should like to know about his providential purposes which he's working out in the churches and in our lives. As you know not the way of the wind, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so you know not the work of God who does all. Chapter 11, verse 5. So if this is the case, if this is the situation, Packer then asks, what then is wisdom? Because if it's not understanding God's ways and what he's doing in this world and how crazy it seems at times, then what is wisdom? He goes on to say, well, the preacher helps us to see what it is not. He does, but he does give us some guidance as to what it is as well. He says, indeed, he outlines what is wisdom. He says, fear God and keep his commandments, chapter 12, verse 13. Trust and obey him, reverence him, worship him, be humble before him, and never say more than you mean and will stand to when you pray to him, chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. Do good, chapter 3, verse 12. Remember that someday 
God will take account of you. Chapter 11, verse 9. Chapter 12, verse 14. So, deliberately avoid, even in secret, things of which you will be ashamed when they come to light at God's judgment. Chapter 12, verse 14. Live in the present and enjoy it thoroughly. Chapter 7, verse 14. Chapter 9, verses 7 through 10. Chapter 11, verses 9 through 10. Present pleasures are God's good gifts. Though Ecclesiastes does condemn flippancy. Chapter 7, verses 4 through 6. He clearly has no time... uh, Sorry. He clearly has no time for the super-spirituality which is too proud or too pious even to laugh and have fun. Seek grace to work hard at whatever life calls you to do, chapter 9, verse 10. And enjoy your work as you do it, chapter 2, 24, 3, 12 through 13, 5, 18 through 27, and 8, 15. Leave to God its issues. Let Him measure its ultimate worth. Your part is to use all the good sense and enterprise at your command in exploiting the opportunities that lie before you. Chapter 11, 1 through 6. This is the way of wisdom. End quote. (laughs) Now that was awesome. I don't know about you, but that was like, wow. That was a trip through Ecclesiastes that was just rich and deep. True True wisdom. True wisdom is not knowing God's ways in His providential workings. True wisdom is trusting God in His providential workings. True wisdom is fearing God. True wisdom is trusting and obeying God. True wisdom is delighting in God. True wisdom is knowing that He is God and you're not. True wisdom is allowing yourself to be put in a position where God can be God and you can be the one who doesn't know. I don't understand all things. I will not never understand all things. But God knows all things, and He is my God. And He controls all things, and He will guide me, and He will direct me. Someone says that. You said, that is wisdom. Did you hear that? That was wisdom. It's not knowing God's workings in the detail, and if someone wants to explain to you God's providential hand, why? hey, why did that person... At such a young age, they were wonderful, they were beautiful, they had everything going for them. It was just amazing what they could have been, and and God horrifically took them. And then Mr. Nasty, Hugh Hefner, is that his name? Mr. Playboy? So Mr. Nasty lives till 80-something? 90? That's what Solomon goes, <laughs> but it's not your business. It's not your business. In the end, God's wisdom, well, God's wisdom is, remember what I said, it's past finding out. It's unsearchable. He does stuff that you can't get your head around. But in the end, it'll, it'll come around. It'll make sense. You just got to wait. You got to wait for the final judgment until you see, then you see God's wisdom on display. But only the tr- only those who are truly wise can say, Yes, Lord, your ways are past finding out. Your ways are mysterious. 
I can't fully understand your providential hand, your workings. And it's not my business to do so. But you're good. You're wise. You're sovereign. And in fact, in all those categories, you're supremely good. Supremely wise. Supremely sovereign. So I can trust you. That's wisdom. That is wisdom. You realize that um, when it comes to this whole idea of wisdom, we're called and exhorted to, in scriptures, to get wisdom. God is all wise. And we're called to say, you know, you should be wise. Because God gives wisdom to those who seek it diligently. This is where you, the book of Proverbs, if you've ever just did a study in Proverbs about the importance of wisdom and going after it, just that alone, follow that thread through, you realize, okay, it's very, very, very important. And you really, really, really should go after it and get it. But it's the kind of wisdom that's from above. It's not the kind of wisdom of this earth. If you, if you look at the, turn over to the book of Proverbs, we're going to look at some of these sections really quick. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, actually states the very purpose and reason for the book of Proverbs. It says, these are the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, this is why he wrote it, so that you would know wisdom and instruction, you would understand words of insight, you receive instruction in wise dealings, in righteousness, in justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth, that the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and, the, and their riddles. The fear of the Lord, and that's how he ends it. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's how not, uh, or, or it also says that in other translations, is the beginning of wisdom. For fools despise wisdom and instruction. So the book of Proverbs was written so that we might know wisdom, what wisdom is, that we might gain understanding and increase in knowledge, fundamentally. And at the fountainhead of all of this, wisdom is the fear of God. John Piper said this about the fear of God being the beginning of wisdom. He said, the wisdom that leads to life and ultimate joy begins with knowing and fearing God. Fearing the Lord means fearing to run away from Him. It means fearing to seek refuge and joy and hope anywhere else but in God. It means keeping before our eyes what a fearful prospect it is to stop trusting and depending on God to meet our needs. The fear of the Lord is, therefore, the beginning of wisdom, not only in the sense that it is the first step in a wise way to live, but also in the sense that all the the later characteristics of wisdom flow from the fear of the Lord like a river flows from a spring. So fearing God sets the stage for anyone to make any advancement in wisdom. Otherwise, within ten minutes, We come up with stupid things like Israel did in the wilderness. We say things like, hey, hey guys, why don't we make a golden calf? Because we'll make a golden calf to represent Yahweh who brought us out of Egypt. Because 
don't you think it's kind of stupid that we worship this invisible God? It's kind of dumb, isn't it? Like, all the other nations have gods you can see, but here we are, oh, and there's nothing there. They're all like, that's brilliant. (laughs) That's what we do. That's what we're like. That's our wisdom. That's the wisdom of the world. That's not the wisdom from above. You know, if they were, if, if the fear, if they had the fear of God, they would never have like came up with this idea, this brilliant idea. And it would have been the beginning of wisdom for them. You know, without the fear of God, we, we start talking like the world rather quickly. We say things like, you know what? All that matters in this life is that you take care of yourself because nobody else will. Sounds like a modern day proverb, doesn't it? Not only that, but you have to remember, you only have one life to live, so you better live it well. Live it up. Another modern day proverb. This is the kind of stuff we come up with. And this is like, for the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so when the fear of the Lord governs you, you don't say things like that. You'd rather say, like, this is wisdom. Jim Elliott said, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot lose to gain what he can't... Well, no. Yeah. He is no fool who gives up what he, what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Whew. That is wisdom. Where does he come up with that? He fears God and he knows God and God has said, listen, this life is short. And at the end, there's a judgment. But then after that is eternal life. Choose wisely. That, that's wisdom. So the one who's short-sighted and see this is life is everything. This is the only life you get. This is it. You better live it. That's a fool who does not fear God. The one who knows God, fears God, says, no, there's a day, there's a judgment coming, and after that is life eternal. This life is short. That one is forever. Therefore, I make a different kind of choice. I say a different kind of maxim. I live differently. So this is the thing we have to understand, that wisdom is essential. Uh, essential. Wisdom is central, and it starts with the fear of the uh, fear of God. But once we do fear God, we ha- also have to see that God wants us to hunger and thirst after wisdom. God wants to give us wisdom. He wants to give you wisdom. But you know what? It's not cheap. He's just not handing it out like candy or in a parade, you know, throwing out wisdom. He, he wants us to seek it. He wants us to love it. He wants us to go after wisdom. His wisdom. And just so we, we, we get this, look at Proverbs chapter 2, chapter 2 beginning at verse 1. It says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, make your ear attentive to wisdom and incline your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out, if you cry out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, I want insight, I want understanding. It's kind of the intensity of a please, I want it. If you do that, he said. (laughs) He says, if you seek it, if you seek it like silver and search for it 
as hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Seek, go after, pursue. Then you'll find the knowledge and the fear of God. For the, and, this, and then he says, he talks about all this earnest desire and this going after it and pursuing it in the first part. And then he shifts and he says this, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores, stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the path of justice and watching over the ways of his saints. He says, then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. So there's the exhortation. God will give it, right? Even James says, do you lack wisdom? Ask. And don't, don't, when you ask, don't be double-minded and doubting. Ask, believing, knowing that God gives it. But taking what uh, Solomon is saying here and James is saying there, it's not just as simple as, oh God, please give me wisdom. Next request. I ask for wisdom. Understanding Proverbs, he's saying, go after it, seek it, pursue it, press into it, pray hard, don't let up on God, and, and just, and go after it. Because, and then, and, and here's why. He goes on in Proverbs to say, there's a reason why you should do this. Wisdom is the, is the thing. It's the thing that you really truly want. It really is. In chapter three, verse 13 and following, he says this, blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding for the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She's more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. She is uh, long life is in her right hand and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. She's a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. And then, just in case that message hadn't stuck yet, he follows up and he goes, he goes after it again in chapter 4. He goes after it again. We read chapter 8. Wisdom, go after it. He says this in chapter 4, starting in verse 5. Get, get wisdom. Get insight Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight or understanding. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. So if Solomon's son is to chase a woman, he's to chase Lady Wisdom. In this whole first section of Proverbs, he's talking about the foolishness of chasing those, those easy women. And now he's talking about, he, he, he personifies wisdom as a woman. And he says, if you're going to chase a woman, my son... And I know you like to chase women. Chase the woman that's really going to reward you. And this is Lady Wisdom. You know, God is delighted. He's delighted to give us wisdom. But 
If we don't go after it, we don't pursue it, we don't chase it down, and we don't wrestle it, and we don't seek and pray, pray to God diligently for it, don't expect it. It's not cheap. You know, I love, I love the, the phrase in the chapter 2 where he talks about seek her as a treasure or silver and gold. Here's the, here's the thing. If we knew how much the value of wisdom and how good it really is and the rewards that come with it, we would go after it. But I can tell we don't. And why? Because we don't. We don't go after it. We don't pursue wisdom. We pursue folly. We go after entertainment. We get sucked into distraction. We're more, we're more concerned what, what, what's going on in the world of media on TV and on Facebook and on Twitter and on Instagram. That's more our concern. We, we, and see, the thing that the problem with entertainment is entertainment, especially today, is that it's 24-7 calling your name. You're probably wondering right now what's happening with your status. How many people liked what you said? You know, it's that kind of stuff, what's going on in the media, what's happening in the news, what's happening in the world. It's like being a busybody with trifles. Meanwhile, there's Lady Wisdom is calling out, but no one's going after her. So we can tell. We can tell that we don't seek her by the way we live our lives. You know, instead of watching TV, we should be reading a book. Or if you are watching TV, watching stuff that's actually going to give you wisdom on TV. Instead of playing, perhaps more studying. Instead of, instead of relaxing, maybe more searching out, seeking after, pursuing. Because I don't know about you, but have you ever been flummoxed by your children? You want to see your lack of wisdom? All the, you know, a three-year-old comes with a dilemma. And you're confused. You'd never tell him that. Go away. I don't know. <laughs> Life happens, and you, when you have no wisdom or discernment, you find yourself in trouble a lot. Whether it's parenting, communicating, dealing with conflict, speaking words of grace, finances, business, your calling, it doesn't matter what it is. I guarantee you that you probably don't have the wisdom you wish you had. So the question is, what are you doing about it? If you want to be wise, then seek wisdom. Seek the God of all wisdom. That's how you become wise. You know, if I was to tell you right now that in your backyard, 100 feet down, is a treasure worth $10 million and it was verified, what would you be doing after the service? Be digging. I don't think there's a person here who wouldn't be digging. Thinking... At least calculate and calling up the, the rental company. What's a backhoe cost? <laughs> $10 million, man. I'd be going for it. Why? It's $10 million. It would change my life. The, think of it. You, you see, if you wouldn't go after that, if you didn't get out tomorrow and start getting that shovel and going after it, you're the idiot, right? But if you read Solomon, he's saying, listen, folks, you want to know something that's better then $10 million? Wisdom. Because if you, had the, if you had enough wisdom 
do you realize that you could probably, you would understand, discern, and have knowledge and understanding about how to, you could probably earn a billion dollars in less time it took you to dig up the hundred, the ten million. And you say, oh, that's impossible. Well, no, it's not really impossible because here's the thing. What hinders us more than anything, God, why God is not hindered is because God is all wise. And what hinders us in so many areas of life is that we don't understand. We don't know what to do. We're lost. That's what it feels like. We're lost. But we, and then we think that, you know, this is like people who go after lottery tickets. We think that if we had the money, it would solve all our problems. No, it creates a whole bunch of more problems. And now you're the same fool with a whole bunch of more money. Bad idea. What you need is a whole lot of wisdom. If you're going to have a whole lot of money, you need a whole lot of wisdom in knowing how to govern and manage and be discerning with that money. There's a reason why God doesn't give me a whole lot of money. I'm not wise enough. So he knows I have exactly what I could actually manage. (laughs) So what do I need to get? I don't need to get money. I need to get wisdom. Our God is all wise, has all wisdom, and he wants to give it. It is his delight to give it, but it isn't cheap. He said, no, you seek and you will find. Pursue, press after, press into me. Be hungry. If you're hungry for it and you go after it, I'll give it to you. But everyone's like, oh, flippant prayers, thinking you're going to get wisdom, you get wisdom. No, seek it, go after it, pursue it. Because wisdom is the principal thing, as Solomon says. Get wisdom. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you that you are wise, all wise, all discerning. You have all knowledge and understanding, and there's nothing hidden from you. There's nothing that confuses you. There's nothing that overwhelms you. There's nothing that takes you by surprise. You know all things. And so we praise you, we worship you, we thank you. And oh Lord God, I pray that you put in a hunger in all of us that we would understand and know the value of wisdom and we would go after it, seeking it and pursuing it and calling out to you for it, the God of all wisdom. Oh Lord, may you give us this hunger for wisdom, your wisdom that comes from above. Amen.